Acts chapter 21. Uh, if you don't know where Acts is, uh, the Lord is gracious to us. And in the beginning of the Bible, there's a thing called the table of contents. And it is not, uh, uh, it, we don't look down on you for using it. We actually applaud you for using the intelligence God gave you to find the book of Acts. So go ahead and go to Acts chapter 21. Let me set up where we're at. This is the second week of a series called The Prize. Last week we started uh, Acts chapter 21, verse 1, and what we looked at last week was this uh, concept called the path principle, that direction, not intention, determines destination. So it's really more about where you're headed and the path you're on. That will tell you where you're going to end up much more than how hard you work or how fast you run or even what your heart desires. And so last week we looked at, uh, Pastor Joey walked through and looked at several different spots uh, where we have an intention for our life, but the direction or the path might be taking us a different direction. And just the, uh, the humility to surrender that and to go, hey Lord, if, if, if I'm going to walk in your ways and where you're calling me to, I need to take a specific path to get there. We ended last week uh, and Paul uh, just got wrapped up by, some, some guy walks up to Paul last week, takes his belts off and wraps them around his ankles and he says, hey Apostle Paul, uh, if you go to Jerusalem, you're going to get bound. And in the text last week, uh, the Apostle Paul said, look, uh, they can bind me, they can kill me, I'm going to uh, be obedient to the things that God's called me to do. And so that's kind of where we ended last week, and we're going to pick up this week in Acts chapter 1, or 21, verse 17. So before we do that, let's pray. Well, if you just bow your heads and pray with me. Uh, Lord, we love you, and God, thank you that you first loved us. And God, this morning, as we pull open your scriptures and look at what you... Um, would have for us, God, I just pray that our hearts would be open, God, that our minds would be still, and God, that we would surrender to you the things that you're calling from us this morning, God, that we would know that you are, um, in, you, you love your children, that you're a good father, and that you want uh, for us what is best for us. So God, this morning, as we open your word, may I not speak anything out of selfish ambition, but may I just deliver the word uh, that you have for us. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, Acts chapter 21. If you're not there yet, you can just quit and we'll put it on the screen for you. Um, and then we'll teach you how to use a table of contents next week. Uh, verse 17, when we had come to Jerusalem, the brothers received us gladly. So Paul and his crew are heading back to Jerusalem. For those of you who've been on this track with us for several, several months now, uh, Acts 15 uh, there was a, a, a meeting of, of many of the apostles and church leaders in Jerusalem. And uh, one of the outcomes of that meeting was they said, Hey, Paul, you should take the gospel to all the Gentile land. You should declare Jesus to the world and then uh, come back and tell us what that's all about. And so Paul is coming back to Jerusalem and there's going to be a meeting uh, about what God's been doing. Well, Paul shows up the night before the meeting into just this warm homecoming welcome. So Paul's come back. He's amongst friends. He's amongst family. I mean, if you've ever been, if you live more than like two hours away from family or loved ones or friends, you know this feeling when you've been in the car all day long and you finally get to where you're going. A few weeks ago, uh, my wife was traveling for work and so she ended up uh, in Atlanta and I had the two girls, uh, me and at that point a two-year-old and like a, a six or seven-month-old, and we were coming up to Atlanta. We were going to meet my wife in Atlanta and then drive over to what we consider the promised land 
um, Athens for the LSU-Georgia game. And so it's about like six and six and a half hours from here to my parents' house. But somehow when you put a potty training uh, two-year-old and a little six-month-old that eats like her daddy, um, man, that kid, that kid can eat. That kid's impressive. You put them in the back of the car, a six-and-a-half-hour journey uh, becomes a pilgrimage, right? And so I, I took a pilgrimage to my parents' house, and I just remember when I pulled in to put that thing in park, and my mom and dad and the dogs, and it's just everything— Everything comes out of the front doors, and I just go, Blakely, Mom, gotcha, Emery, Dad, Pop, she loves you. I'm out. I'm going to bed. I felt warm and welcome, and I felt at home. And I don't even know what time the kids went to bed. I didn't care because I went and laid down, and I had great, great rest, and I'm still trying to unspoil my kids from two days with, with Pops and Fifi. All right, so here we go. Verse 18, on the following day, Paul went in. With us to James and all the elders were present. So the next day, Paul gets up. Paul and his crew, they go meet James, the Apostle James, the, the brother of, of Jesus. He's, he, he's kind of entered this apostleship. He's kind of leading the church in Jerusalem at this point. And then the elders at the church of Jerusalem, and they're sitting down to have this meeting. And they're going to sit down. They're going to talk about, hey, remember back in Acts 15, we had the meeting and we said you should go and that new believers don't have to get circumcised and they don't have to uh, under, go underneath the, the, the law of Moses, but go tell the new believers that Jesus loves them. So Paul's coming back to kind of share what's happened there. Remember, Acts 15 is where um, they, they make the statement that we should not make it difficult for people to come to know Jesus. And that's really, for us, the action step quickly became uh, this restore project that we're a part of, that we realized that we were turning away families. Even last week, we had to turn away four families that we didn't have enough, we did not have enough room in Nugent. So the application from us for Acts 15 was, we, we've got to restore the rest of this building so that we can continue to make it easy for people to hear the gospel. And so that was our application. But here, they, they, Paul went and he shared the gospel, and so he's coming back. We also know that this meeting uh, is probably the meeting where Paul had taken up a offering from the churches uh, in all of Asia and the Gentile lands, and he brought this, this, this offering from Corinth to the church in Jerusalem to say, hey, thank you so much for, uh, for sending the gospel to, to the, all the parts of the world. And then what we're going to find out in a second is that um, this meeting also kind of had this third agenda item from, uh, from James and the Jewish elders, the Jewish believers' elders. Now, I need to set this up for you because I need you to get this. So this meeting was like, there was a little bit of homecoming, and, and we hadn't seen you in a while, but there's also going to be this underlying tension that was a part of this meeting. It, these, the, both parties, everybody agreed, Jesus is the Savior, loves Jesus is who he said he is, but there was some differences in how they pursued Jesus. You see, James was the brother of Jesus, and, and the, the elders at the church of Jerusalem, probably almost every single one of them had grown up in the temple underneath the law of Moses. So they went through circumcision, they went through all the rites and rituals, they went through all the purification, they, they did all the things that the Old Testament uh, told them to do. And in that, that's where they saw that Jesus was truly the Messiah that their uh, religion had been pointing to. Right? Now, on the other side of the table is like Paul, and Paul's group was a little more like, like a group of vagabonds, right? Paul kind of attracted the people um, that 
that, that you just think, I don't even know if they are a Christian. But if they are, that's cool. Paul's kind of team reminded me a little bit more of like our staff here. Like if you look at our staff, you're like, well, I, they all love Jesus, but if I could get two of them to put on a collared shirt, we'd look grown up, right? And so Paul's got this kind of group of people that's just kind of like their background really wasn't, really wasn't very religious. Their background was kind of like, hey, here's my story, and can you believe that Jesus would save me? And so you get this table where James and his crew are kind of like, hey, um, the, our religious past pointed us to Jesus. And then you've got Paul and his crew, some of them that weren't even allowed in the temple, going, look, law of Moses is great, but the law of Moses excluded us. So there's this tension in this meeting of, of the best way to pursue Jesus, right? I need you to know that for two reasons. First of all, um, I just need you to see uh, that what we're going to talk about the rest of this morning is, is trying to balance this tension between these two groups. Also, I want you to see that when we say we're a movement for all people, like we're not making it up. We're just taking it right from the scripture. That our church, we want it to be a church of people going, look, my religious past pointed me to Jesus. And thank, thank God that Jesus is bigger than my religiosity. And we want a group of people going, I don't even think I'd ever been in church. When I called my mom and told her I was going to the church 1122, I think she fainted, right? We want those people meeting in the middle at the cross. That's who we want to be about. And we didn't make it up. It's just, it's here, right? Verse, verse 19. After greeting them, he related one by one the things that God had done amongst the Gentiles through his ministry. So they get in this meeting, and it's just kind of this warm welcome. And then Paul says, look, I know part of this meeting is you guys want to know what's been going on. So Paul's going to go one by one through the things that God had done. It's been a few years at this point. And Paul goes, hey, man, we've had a great season of ministry. He's like, last time we met, right after I left, I picked up Timothy. Um, Timothy was like, um, wasn't even allowed in the temple, and we got him. We got him circumcised. He's all in, I promise, and he's a part of the team now, and he's, gonna, he's, like, he's like an all-star. He's going to be a pastor, and then after I picked up Timothy, we ended up meeting this lady named Lydia, and she was wealthy and influential, and she surrendered her life to Jesus and leveraged every bit of influence and every bit of wealth for the gospel. We even planted a church in her house. And then shortly after that, I mean, Silas got busted and put in jail. And it was a bummer. But then like the angel of the Lord like just showed up and pulled a gate off. And all of a sudden, we're free. And as we were leaving, we just looked at the jailer and goes, you want to be surrendered your life to Jesus? You know, the guy that just busted us out of the jail? The jailer's like, yeah, I'm in on that. So we, we converted him to Jesus. And then we went to Thessalonica. And just, just imagine if you're in the room and Paul's like a third of the way through. And you're like, what has this guy done in the last three years? Oh, holy moly. He's like, we went to Thessalonica and some people followed the Lord and we planted a church there. And then Paul's like, and then guess what? We went to Berea and many believed there and we planted a church there. And then it got really crazy with these, uh, these Jewish, uh, these Jews in Asia. They, 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 they didn't really like me. And so the Jews came in and chased Paul out of Berea. He goes, that's all right. I went and hit out in Athens. And they asked me to speak of the Areopagus, so I went and spoke at the, like the court of religious and philosophical affairs, and people became believers there. And then we, got, we, we left there and went to Corinth, and we planted another church there. And then we went to Ephesus, and Paul's like, y'all got to hear this. We were in Ephesus. Bro, I saw a demon beat seven guys naked. All right, you didn't believe it. All right, you didn't believe it. I beat them naked. And then Paul says, and then the gospel went through all of Asia. Like everybody in Asia heard the gospel. And it had such an economic impact that there ended up being a riot in Ephesus. 
And then from there, we went on, and I, I met this guy named, this, little, this young guy named Ethicus, and he, um, he, he fell asleep while I was preaching and fell out the window and died, which is our model here, right? You, we will preach until someone falls out of their seat, and then we'll preach a little more. And then I went down and raised him from the dead. It was awesome. And then this weird dude on the way here tied me up with belts. It was, Paul's just going step by step by step going, this is what God's done in our ministry over the last four or five years. And I can only imagine he pauses and goes, so what's been going on here, guys? We just, nothing big deal, all right? And so Paul just kind of humbly, he really humbly tells, this is what God's been doing, verse 20. And when they heard it, they glorified God. Don't, don't miss that. Paul tells a story of the last four or five years of his life where God used him to plant just church after church after church to release people from uh, demonic spirits, to give people life and, and to proclaim the gospel. God used Paul to do that. But when Paul told the story, Paul was not the hero. Paul told the story so that God got every bit of the credit. He, he wrapped the whole story around the person of Jesus. And when they heard it, they didn't glorify Paul. They said, man, God is so good. Verse 20, here we go. And they said to him, they glorify God and they said to him, you see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed and they are all zealous for the law. All right, everybody got that one friend that no matter what happens in your life, you tell them like, hey, this happened in my life, and what do they got to do? They got to one-up you, right? Everybody got that friend? Everybody got, if you don't have a friend, some of you just raise both hands. You're now that person, right? I got two friends, right? Hey, awesome. Awesome. That's probably all the friends you got, period. But that's okay. So you got the one-upper. I got a buddy. I called him and said, hey, we're pregnant. We're having a baby. And he goes, awesome. He calls me back a couple weeks later. He goes, hey, man, we're pregnant too. We're having twins. And he's a Bama fan. It was like right after they beat us last year in the SEC championship. I was like, I'm a, I'd punch you, but you'd probably punch me back and knock me out. You always got that one friend that's kind of a one-upper. And that's what happens here. James and, and, the, and the, kind of the elders go, man, you see how many thousands of believers we have here? And not only do they believe in Jesus, but they still love the law of Moses. It kind of like one up them. Now, you got all those Gentiles that believe in Jesus, but we've got these believers who love Jesus and are still following and, and, and respecting and honoring, and they're jealous for the Old Testament covenant. They, they love it. Verse 21, and they have been told about you that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses telling them not to circumcise their children or walk according to our customs. What then is to be done? They will certainly hear that you have come. So James and the elders go, look, hey, we got these guys here, and they still love the law, and they're, still, they're, they're, they're jealous about the law, and they have heard. Like, let me just tell you, anytime you get in a conversation with someone and they begin to use the, the they as a culprit, it's, it's getting dirty, right? It's not going to do good. Anonymous accusations usually don't go well, right? This is why if you write, write a complaint to us, like at the Church 1122, and you don't sign it, guess what? We ain't reading it because we can't reconcile with the they. We can't figure out what's going on with the invisible complainer, right? And so James goes, there's these people, and those people, here's what they've heard. Here's their accusation. So it's not, first of all, it's a they, it's an anonymous they. Second of all, it's completely hearsay. And James is going, here's what they've heard. Paul, they've heard that you're teaching Jewish people when they come to the faith in Christ to abandon their heritage. Now, Paul never said that. 
Paul did say things, he, he did uh, uh, say things that like, you know, you don't have to continue to be under the law, that Christ has fulfilled the law. And so, so Paul has said, look, it's for freedom that you've been set free. It's not that you have to go back and do all the religious acts of your past. But Paul never said abandon it. Paul never said throw it out, throw it out like bathwater, get rid of it. No, Paul, Paul just continued to teach freedom in Christ. And so these, these James and these elders go, look, you've been teaching that we should abandon, you've been teaching these Jewish believers in Asia that they should abandon their heritage. Verse 21. Do therefore what we tell you. For we have four men who are under a vow. Take these men and purify yourself along with them. And pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads. See, I told you it's righteous to have a shaved head, right? You know, like, Why do I can't get his head shaved? Because I love Jesus, right? And it ain't because I have to. Some of you out there, you have to. <laughs> <clears throat> Thus all will know that there is nothing in what they have been told about you but that you yourself also live in observance of the law. But as for the Gentiles who have believed, we have sent them a letter with our judgment that they should abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols, from blood, and from what has been strangled, and from sexual immorality. So let me tell you what's about to happen here. James is about to present to Paul, we have an opportunity to please some people. James is about to fall victim to this belief that fuels people-pleasing. And the belief that fuels people-pleasing is this. If I can appease the, the, the anonymous they, if I can appease the they, then the byproducts will be acceptance, rest, and happiness. So he's about to fall victim to this. I, I want to show you what he, what, what's happening here. He says, look, those people, uh, they, they've been saying that you've been saying Right, you can see he's about to fall victim to it because he doesn't stop and go, Paul, did you say those things? He doesn't stop and go, Paul, are those things true? He just immediately goes to, it's not about necessarily what's right. He immediately goes to what would cause, cause peace to come about. Verse 23, therefore, he said, therefore, we tell you, do what we say. He says, we got four men who are ready to kind of uh, go under this vow. It was probably what they call a Nazarite vow. A Nazarite vow was a vow that... Uh, it was part of the Old Testament covenant. It was an opportunity for men to, to either seek the Lord on something, men and women, to seek the Lord on something, um, or an opportunity uh, for them to thank the Lord for what he had done. So there's four guys, Jewish Christians, who had gone under this Nazarite vow. And so for 30 days, they weren't going to cut their hair. They weren't going to eat raisins, grapes, drink wine, or strong drinks. They would avoid anything uh, that, had to, that looked like it might defile them underneath the Old Testament covenant. So for 30 days, they were doing that. So James says, we got these guys, they're about, to, they're about to come out of this vow, and the way they would end this 30-day vow was to pay an offering to the temple and shave their heads. So Paul, Paul had to go through seven days of purification if he wanted to go back into the temple because he was, had been in Gentile land for several years. So what they tell Paul is, Paul, if you're going to go do that, then while you're there, we want you to carry the money up front and want you to give it to the temple so that these guys can end their vow. And James goes, and don't forget, back in Acts 15, we already told the Gentiles that they don't have to get circumcised. They should just do these things. They should avoid sexual morality. Uh, they should avoid food that's been strangled and anything that's been sacrificed to idols. So James says, look, we now have these two parties, the Gentile believers, the Jewish believers. If we can just appease both parties, then peace and rest 
and happiness will be the byproduct, right? Now, you know exactly what I'm talking about. We're about to enter into 45, 50 days of uh, peace and happiness, right? That's what the holidays are all about, that Jesus came and Christmas, and it's a beautiful time, except for the fact that everybody you know has already invited you to a Christmas party, and the fact that about half of your family's crazy, right? And if you don't know what half that is, guess what? <laughs> You're part of the half, right? And so you, we will spend the next 45 days of our existence trying to figure out who do we appease? Who do we try to make happy so that the result will be rest? Guess what? The result will not be rest. If you spend the next 45 days just trying to make everybody happy, guess what you will be at the end? Tired and angry, Okay. And not only, not only is it a holiday thing, but like this people-pleasing deal is, is just a part of everyday life. You just spend every, every decision you make, you, you got to go, now am I trying to please you so I can be happy? My boss, do I give him a little more time? Because you know if you give your boss like another hour, what do they want? Well, they want another hour, right? No boss is like, you know, I just go, go home. We don't have to get anything done this year, okay? No, or your, your, your family, you, you will spend every single day going, now what do I say to my teenage daughter? to win today, right? You will, we'll spend all of our time just every single day trying to go, am I going to try, how do I appease my wife today? Or how do I appease my husband? Or how do I please my best friend? And while the reason we do it is because we think, well, the byproduct will be peace, rest, acceptance, and happiness. Right? In our culture, we even spend time trying to appease people we don't even know, right? It's called Facebook, right? Look, here's the deal. If you have a friend if you have a friend on Facebook and you can't point them out in a crowd, they're not your friend, right? And some of, some of you don't have any friends on Facebook. And look, if you invite me to be your friend on Facebook, it is like my pastoral obligation. I will be your friend. I may not be able to pick you out of a crowd, but give me time. You put enough dumb posts on there and I'll figure out who you are, right? <laughs> but we spend our life trying to appease people we don't even know. We try to dress in a way we please people that we honestly will not even care about in five years. It's just wired into um, some of the insecurities we have as fallen man and woman. Now, here's, here's the biggest problem with, with people pleasing. It's reality, right? The biggest problem with people pleasing being successful is the little thing we call reality, right? Here, here's, here, let's keep going. Verse 26. Then Paul took them in, and the next day he purified himself along with them and went into the temple, giving notice when the days of purification would be fulfilled and the offering presented for each one of the men. Now, let me just pause for a second and say there is a fine line between honoring people and trying to please people. I fully think and believe that Paul's um, going through this plan is really rooted in two things. He wanted to honor the, the, the elders in James who were the, at the church of Jerusalem. I truly believe that Paul said, look, if there's problems with leading people to Jesus, I want to honor you as elders, I want to submit to you, and I want to honor what you've asked of me. I also think truly that Paul is trying to honor the heritage of the people before him. One of the things we want to be about here is honoring the authority that God's put in place. And we want to be a church that honors the heritage that came before us. God has blessed this place, but guess what? We didn't invent church. We didn't invent Jesus. And so we stand on the shoulders of years and years of people, and we want to honor them. And I really think that's what Paul's doing here. I think he's trying to honor the heritage, and I think he's trying to honor the men that God placed at this church. Verse 27. 
When seven days were almost completed, the Jews from Asia, seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him. These are the same Jews from Asia that has been following Paul along. And everywhere he goes and has a little success, they stir the people up. Verse 28. They were crying out, Men of Israel, help! This is the man who is teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law and this place. Moreover, he even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. For they have previously seen Trophimus the Ephesian with him in the city. And they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. Right? So there's this belief that fuels people pleasing that says this. If I appease the they, then acceptance and rest and happiness are the byproducts. There's several problems with it. The first one is this, is that you can never truly satisfy the expectations of someone else. You really can only fuel them. You can never truly satisfy the expectations of someone else. You'll only escalate their demands. You'll only escalate their accusations. And here's the reason. It's because we as humans have a little thing called ego. And when you begin to try to please me, you know what that says to me? It says, you care about me. You care about me getting what I want. And in our ego, we begin to now manipulate that and try to get everything out of you. You see this every day. As you try to please people, you'll never satisfy that inner ego they have. You'll never be everything. You'll never complete them. You'll never meet everything they've ever wanted. And so when they don't get what they want, it just begins to escalate. The demands begin to grow. Here's what I mean in the text. Verse 21. Verse 21, it says, And they have been told about your teaching the Jews who are among the Gentiles. So James says, look, the problem is, Paul, is you're teaching Jews who live amongst the Gentiles. Well, what do they accuse him of in verse 28? They said, you've been teaching everyone everywhere. So Paul and James, in attempts to please the Jews in the Gentile lands, are now, Paul's now being accused of teaching everybody everywhere. And not only that, it escalates a second time. It says, men of Israel, this is the man who is teaching everyone everywhere against the people, the law, and this place. So they say not only is he teaching everybody everywhere, but here's what he's teaching them. He's teaching them that the law, the Old Testament, the covenant of Moses, of God through Moses is is useless, that the people are worthless, and that the temple is just a pile of rocks. This is the equipment. He goes, men of Israel. In other words, they they say, hey, look, if you love Israel, you better hate this guy. Right? Here we are on on the birthday of the Marines, and tomorrow is Veterans Day. And this is like if I came up here and said, if you love America... You know, I got, a, I got one guy that we should all hate together, right? And if I said, you love America, and if I say it enough, y'all start cheering and hollering because you love America. And if you don't, um, you should go serve Jesus in the foreign lands. But this is the deal. He says, look, America, this guy hates America. That's what he's doing. He's going, Israel, this guy hates you. He's been telling everybody everywhere that our people are worthless, that our country is useless, that our temple is a pile of rocks, and that our law that God gave us is empty. It escalates. It escalates even more. So he goes from telling the Jews and Gentile lands to everyone everywhere, and then he goes from telling them to, uh, that they should forsake the law of Moses to now the escalation is he's saying that, they, that, that the whole nation of Israel is useless, and it escalates again. They say he even brought Greeks into the temple. 
See, when you go in the temple, uh, the old, there's outer courts and inner courts, and you can't get into the inner courts if you are a, a Gentile, a foreigner, a Greek. And there's even signs that say, if you're not a Jew and you go beyond this sign, it's a capital offense. And so here's what it's escalated to. They've gone from, you've told some people that the law of Moses isn't as important as it used to be, to you told us our country is useless and you deserve to die. It, it escalates. When we begin to try to people-please, the first problem with people-pleasing is that we can never, ever satisfy their expectations. We can only escalate them. Verse 30. Then all the city was stirred up, and the people ran together. They seized Paul, and they dragged him out of the temple. At once the gates were shut, and as they were seeking to kill him. So here's what happened. They go and they grab Paul who is in the temple trying to go through a purification vow, they yank him out and they, they demand that he's defiling the temple, which is a little ironic, but in people-pleasing, truth very rarely matters. And they pull him out for two reasons. One, they want to protect the temple. But two, as a Jewish citizen, Paul could have run back into the temple and, and declared sanctuary. So they pull him out and they basically shut any doors up, any any option of protection, they shut that down and they grab him and they're beginning to beat him because they're seeking to kill him. So here's problem number two with people pleasing. When you can't give them what they want, they'll turn on you. When you can't give the they what they are demanding from you, they will turn on you. Now, I don't think that you are going to get drug out of church this morning onto the front steps and beat down, Right? That's just not our vibe here, okay? Um, and so we actually have a security team here, and if anybody drags anybody out and starts beating them down on the curb, we've given the security team permission to, to, um, to, to give you a little of your own medicine. That's fine, right? And so we're not going to have, like, beating down on the front curb. That's not going to be the way we roll here this morning. But as you continue to try to please people in everyday life, the people you're trying to please are inevitably going to turn on you inevitably going to turn on. You will spend your whole life trying to please your children and give your children every single thing they want. And you'll, you'll do a great job until they become a teenager. And the moment they become a teenager, it does not matter what you have given them. It is not enough, right? See, y'all never amen when I say that. What's up with that, right? There, all the parents surrounding the student section just say, I'm with that guy, right? So we, we, you'll do that. You'll spend your whole life and then the teenagers want more. Teenagers, you'll spend your whole life trying to please a friend or please a boyfriend, as all of us. We'll try to please someone for our whole life, and we reach this point where, where we can't give them what they want. We've fueled their expectations to the point where we can no longer meet them, and they'll turn. It happens in marriages where we, where we try to meet expectations. We don't try to love and serve and, and glorify God. We just simply try to manipulate situations and manipulate conversations so we make the other person feel pleased. Because we think the result will be acceptance and peace and happiness. But over and over and over again, when we try to spend our life pleasing someone, eventually we can't give them all they want. Eventually you, you work and you do the greatest job for your company, but they, they have decided to go younger and you cannot give them what they want and they will turn on you, right? So they take him out and they try to beat him down, right? It's just part of humanity, that our ego drives, serve me, serve me, serve me. And when you can't serve me, then I'll, I'll turn on you and I'll get someone else who can. Verse 31, word came to the tribune that the cohort of all of Jerusalem was in confusion. 
He at once took soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. And when they saw the tribune and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. All right, so the tower of Antonia was a part of the Herodian fortress. And they put this fortress next to the temple. Because when Jerusalem got crazy, most of the time it happened at the temple, right? Crazy people show up at church all the time. God bless them. We're a movement for all people. But if it got crazy in Jerusalem, it often got crazy at the temple for a couple of reasons. One, because we just know, even in our culture today, that when you begin to talk about Jesus and God and you begin to enter into uh, eternity-type conversations, um, sometimes it just, the friction is there. It just, it just happens in our, in our culture, even all the way back to this time. The other reason is because the temple was really the, one of the largest spaces to gather people. So what happened is they start beating Paul. Uh, the tribune says, hey, uh, Jerusalem's going gone crazy again. They bring the soldiers down. They bring so many soldiers down to the temple that as the soldiers are showing up, everyone who was beating Paul steps back and goes, I wasn't beating him. I think he punched himself. That's how he got a black eye. I don't, I, all right? And then they show up, verse 33, then the tribune came up and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with two chains. The crazy guy from last week with the belt, he was right. He inquired who he was and what he had done. Some in the crowd were shouting one thing and some another. And as he could not learn the facts because of the uproar, he ordered him to be brought back into the barracks. So the soldiers come down and the the tribune says, what's he done? What's the accusation? And the same people who just a few verses early had a very clear accusation, they can't even decide amongst themselves anymore what what he did. So some begin to shout one thing, some begin to shout the other, and it just gets so loud and chaotic and crazy that the tribune goes, I can't even accuse him of anything because you people have changed your mind so much that you don't even know what he's guilty of. So here's the third problem with people-pleasing. Because people are ever-changing, their expectations of you change just as much. Because circumstances change, attitudes change, future hopes and dreams change. Because people are ever-changing, then their expectations are changing. And so you'll spend your whole life, talk about the path principle, you'll spend your whole life chasing after expectations that keep moving all over the map. It's hard enough to hit a moving expectation that's moving in one direction, much less one that's just everywhere, right? How many of y'all old duck hunters on, on Nintendo, right? Little click gun, right? Now, I don't know why you felt, I felt the need, but I would get as close to the screen as possible, right? And even if I couldn't shoot them, I guess I thought I'd pistol whip them. I don't know what was going on. But remember old duck hunter, you had the ducks and they'd fly up, and then every now and then you'd get like the weird one, okay? The one that was flying in a pattern, easy to hit. Click, 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 bam, done, right? The one that was going everywhere, I would miss it to the point that the little dog would pop in and go, ha, 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 Y'all remember the dog? And I would, I would try to shoot the dog, and then I realized you can't shoot the dog. So I would pistol whip the dog, and we had to get a new TV. It was just, it was unbelievable. And the one thing I realized in Duck Hunter, I learned at a very early age, when a target's moving and you don't know where it's going, it's really hard to hit. So if we spend our lives running after targets that are moving and we don't even know where, it's really hard to hit. And so these, these men and these women, when it became, what has Paul done? Their expectations were moving so much, they couldn't even accuse him anymore. See, here's the problem. Even if you get to a point where you meet someone's expectations, it only fuels future demands. 
It only fuels future demands. And those future demands, because the person's changing, those expectations will change to the point that we will inevitably get to the point where we cannot fulfill someone's expectations. And they'll either get rid of you or turn on you or just continue to demand more from you. And the results of that are not acceptance. The result of that is not rest. And there is no happiness or joy to be found when we pursue the goal of pleasing man. Verse 35. And when he came to the steps, he was actually carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the crowd. For the mob of the people were crying away with him. So they bring Paul out to the the steps of the temple, and they can't even physically get him through the crowd, so they have to pick him up. I just want you to notice the isolation of this guy now. Right, there's no one there in his corner. He's now getting picked up and drug out of the temple. And they begin to cry, this, this cry away with him. And there's one other spot in, in the scriptures where we see this language, away with him. It, it kind of literally means like, away with him, get him off the face of the earth. We have nothing left to do with him. You can just basically kill him. There's one other spot where we see it. It's Luke chapter 23, where this guy named Jesus was on trial and the, the, the crowd at Pilate's temple, or Pilate's court, began to scream, away with him, kill him. We have nothing left to do with him. It was the same people that a week before cried out, Hosanna, Hosanna, save us in the highest. And when Jesus didn't deliver their expectations the way that they thought he should, they just declared, away with him, away with him. And in the same spot, the people are now declaring of Paul, he can't deliver our expectations the way we want, so away with him. We have no more use of him. Here's the solution to the people-pleasing problem. You've got to change your aim. See, when, you, when we have people-pleasing as a problem, then there's this aim, and the aim is this. If I can just please you, human person, whatever, fill in that name. You know who you struggle with right now. If I can just please you, then the byproducts will be peace and acceptance. And the only way we fix the problem is not by not trying to please someone because we are inevitably wired to please. We change our aim. It's no longer I'm going to please man, I'm going to please woman, I'm going to please friend, I'm going to please spouse and parent. It's I'm going to please God because he doesn't change. And I'm going to run after him with every ounce of my fiber. And my goal is to please him. And my goal is for him to say, you're my son, you're my daughter, and I'm well pleased with you. And not only do we have to change the aim, but we've got to change the goal. We've got to change the goal. The goal of, of, of people pleasing is really selfish ambition. The goal of people pleasing is I'm going to please you so that I'm accepted. I'm going to please you so that I uh, get what I want in life. And we've got to change the goal to the sake of the gospel. So our aim is I want to please God, and the goal is the proclamation of the gospel. If I please God, I want to to glorify God by honoring his creation, honoring his people. And the solution to people-pleasing is not people ignoring, right? You can't take the pendulum and take it all the way to the other side. It's Correct aim, correct goal. Now I'm going to love people. I'm going to love people. Now people pleasers, I'm with you. I'm, a, I'm the president of the people pleasing club and they really like me, okay? They voted me like president seven times, which is awesome, right? I am, I'm the leader. I'm telling you that there's a part of my fabric of my being that wants you at the end of the sermon to come down here and go, greatest sermon ever. Who's the other guy, right? 
Like our lead pastor's not here this weekend, and I want you to go. You're not the lead pastor. I need. Like I'm just telling you, that's where I'm wired. I want everyone to hug me and love me and tell me I'm awesome, right? But here's the problem: if I'm dependent upon pleasing you, I can't. I'll please some of you and I'll tick some of you off. Right? I just will. I do it every day of my life. Right? And if we aim to please people, we cannot be successful. But instead, we have to go, my aim is to please the Lord. My aim is to please the Lord. Here's the point. The prize is not that we please others so we feel accepted. If you spend your life trying to please other people so you have warm and fuzzy feelings about whether or not they like you or not, you're wasting the life that God gave you. You're wasting the call on your life to change the world for eternity's sake. The prize of this life is not you liking me. The prize is that we honor others so that they know that by the gospel they are accepted. The prize of this life is that to glorify God, I would honor his creation and I would aim to please him for the sake of the gospel. I would aim at him and in honoring his people, people that I meet every single day would know that there's something different. And it's not that I want them to like me. It's the one I want them to know that through the cross that God loves them. That Jesus left divinity, came into humanity so that the prize would change and that they would know that Jesus loves them. Now, I told you earlier, but there's a fine line between glorifying God by honoring his people and people pleasing to gain acceptance. There's really a fine line between honoring God, between glorifying God through honoring his people and pleasing people to get acceptance. And here's the fine line. It's your heart. It's your heart. See, here's the thing. The actions tend to look the same. If I go home on my home today and I stop by Publix and I get the three for $12 flowers, right, guys? If you can't figure out how to love your wife, just go to Publix and that guy says three, three bundles of flowers, $12. You just get three bundles and you pay them $12, right? And you got a bundle of flowers. And if you get the colors even close enough to matching, right, your wife will be like, oh, boy. I didn't know those colors match. They don't, sweetheart. Red and pink and orange. It looks good together, I think. I don't know. You just go, you get three bundles of flowers for $12. Now, I can either be trying to love my wife and go, I love you and I got you flowers and you like flowers, or I could be trying to get out of trouble. The action is the same. And the public attendant, the cash register, always assumes I'm in trouble every single time. Which makes me worry about the men in our city, that we are buying flowers because we're always in trouble. Hey, what did you do wrong? Did she come in here earlier? What did I do? Good looking girl? Did she, all right. No, you didn't do anything wrong, sir. Oh, well, then I'm just buying flowers because I love my wife. But you can't tell the difference between buying flowers to try to appease and buying flowers to honor and respect if you can't look at the heart. And it's the same way in the way we begin to treat each other. I can't look at what you're doing and go, that's appeasement or that's honoring, it's rooted in your heart. Now, I'm a people pleaser. I've already told you that. I want you to be pleased by the fact that I told you. I have to ask myself three questions. I have to constantly ask myself three questions so I can figure out, am I trying to please people or honor people? Here's the three questions. The first one is this. What am I aiming at? And this action that I'm about to walk out, this action, what am I aiming at? Am I trying to serve God or my selfish desires? Romans chapter 10 says this. Love one another with brotherly affection. 
Outdo one another in showing honor. If you're, a, if you're an underliner in your Bible, let's underline this one. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Romans, Paul says, look, here's what we should do. We should try to out-honor each other. But what we're aiming at is not selfish desires, because I can try to please you just to get out of it what I want out of it. I can be aiming at self-gratification. But Paul says, here's what we should aim at, that we would serve the Lord. That when I do this action for you, my goal is not for you to get you to like me. My goal is to serve the Lord. What's the end goal is the second question. First goal is, what am I aiming at? The second goal, what's the end goal? Right? I'm a, I'm a football guy. I love football. I'm a football. I mean, just through and through. And it's easy to know whether or not you won or not because somebody got more points, Right? And that's how I want to know, that's how it helps me understand, am I trying to please you or am I not trying to, or am I trying to honor you? But I want to look at the scoreboard at the end and go, this was the goal, this was the win. And here's what the goal should be, the sake of the gospel, the proclamation of the love of Jesus Christ. The goal, the goal that happens when I begin to please is acceptance. Here's what I mean, 1 Corinthians chapter 9 says this, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I've become a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law, I have become one under the law, though not myself being under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not outside the law, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I might share with them in its blessing. Paul says, look, every, everything I do, everything Paul does, what he's saying is, look, I, to the religious, I've come alongside the religious, and I say, look, I, I understand where you're coming from. I, I want to respect that. I want to I look at your tradition and your heritage, and I want to honor that. And to those who are, who are way outside of the law, I've come over to them, and I said, look, I understand uh, where you're at. I understand what you're doing. And Paul says, I've come to everyone, and in the religious, I've said your religion points to being good, and there's only one who's good enough. And your rebellion is from a Father in heaven who loves you and sent Jesus. And Paul says, to the weak, I've come alongside the weak, and I've walked with them. Paul says, look, I'm becoming all things to all people. For what? For the sake of the gospel. Paul's like, I'm not trying to please people so that I'd be accepted. I'm trying to honor people so that they would know that the gospel, that Jesus Christ loves them from death to life, is true. I love what he says. I've become all things to all people. Here's what Paul is ultimately saying. He's chosen to live where he can love the lost. Not live as the lost he loves. Now, I use the word lost here uh, just because Jesus said he's the way and the truth and the life. And I, I just, I know sometimes we get semantics and we get messed up with words. But here's the deal. If you don't know the way, then you're lost. If you don't know Jesus, then, then your perspective eternity is not full. And so Paul says, I'm going to come alongside those who don't know Jesus and love them where they're at. This is not an excuse to come alongside people to live like them and then say, no, I'm just trying to do this for Jesus. Now, there's a difference. There's a difference for living and honoring people for the sake of the gospel and trying to please people for, their, for them to accept you. And finally, the third question I always ask is this. Who's getting the credit? You see, in verse 19, Paul tells them verse, one by one what God had done, and they heard it, and they glorified God. 
when you look back on the way that you treated someone, behaved with someone, then you ultimately have to go, who got the credit here? Did God in heaven get the credit? Was I aiming to serve him for the proclamation of the gospel? Or, was, or am I getting the credit? Am I getting the rewards? Because I was simply trying to serve someone for my selfish ambition. See, very, very often, in fact, probably never, never, ever can you serve God and your selfish ambition. And you cannot do things for the sake of the gospel and for acceptance. There's very few times where you stand up for the gospel that everybody would go, come on, I love that. I love the way you just made me feel like a wretched, black-hearted sinner. Thank you. That's just, that's a blessing in my soul. No. But when we stand up and go, I'm serving God for the sake of the gospel, that he would get the glory and the credit, that's when we know we're honoring people, that we're glorifying God, that we're making known the love of God for their sake. Here's the final thought. The problem with people pleasing as a whole, the number one problem is the gospel. The number one problem with people pleasing is the gospel. We have been found pleasing to God. We can't waste that gift. We have to leverage it. Here's what the gospel is. I was dead and now I'm alive. I was an enemy of God and through Christ and the cross and his blood, I am now a family of God. That I was a sinner in need of a savior and my savior Jesus Christ died on the cross for us and then imputed on us his righteousness. So when our God in heaven looks down on us, what he sees is the righteousness of his son in which God said, in him I am well pleased. So when God looks down on you as the believer, he's going, I'm well pleased. I'm delighting in you. And and church, we cannot, we cannot waste that gift trying to please men. It is our call as a body of believers, it's our call to surrender, to leverage the fact that God loves us so much he sent his one and only son to the cross and that we would use our lives to glorify him, to make him known, to declare his love when we honor and serve people for the sake of the gospel. Stand with me. Here's how we're going to close today. We're just going to pray, and then I'm just going to invite you to come. And some of us need to come and repent that we've been spending our lives trying to appease man. And some of us, um, we just need to sit in our chairs and declare, let my life, just let it glorify you, God, because you're the one who's, who's deemed me righteous and are pleased with me. And just like every week, uh, we're going to give you an opportunity to go down to the altar uh, and, and pray. We're going to give you an opportunity to go to the boxes and give cheerfully. But let's pray. Father God, we love you. And God, we thank you that you love us and that you have, you, we, we, God, you put your righteousness on us and you're pleased with us. And so God, as we, as we respond, God, may we just repent of the areas where we've tried to please man. And may we just declare the gospel. May we just fall on our knees and worship. May we come after you and seek you and declare that in our life and our love that you would be made famous. And we pray this in your name. Amen.